Consummate athletes seeks health, community, and adventure through movement. And here on the podcast, longtime endurance coach and kinesiologist Peter Glassford and author and cycling coach Molly Herford are helping you lead your best active, adventurous life. Every week, we talk with professional athletes, health and fitness experts, and of course, real-life consummate athletes. We're excited to have you along for the ride. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Peter, how's it going? It is going well. Yes, I am hiking more, walking more, ambulating more. Coaching cyclocross more. Yes, I was also running beside my bike or standing beside it as most of what cyclocross coaching involves. But yeah, we were out doing that on the weekend, which is good. I think we mentioned on the last podcast, it's been slower for that sort of big group cyclocross thing, which uh, I think both of us, that's probably where most of our, our uh, co-coaching is done is usually in like a cyclocross scenario, uh, just because the group sizes usually get bigger. But uh, yeah, it was really fun. Good practicing jumping on and off bicycles. And of course, while Peter was gone, I renovated the entire condo and hung out with the dog. Yeah, Molly's been a handy person around the house here. It's good. Yeah, yeah. I had to uh, I had to take a bit of time off of running these last couple weeks, and you know, it's in a lot of ways like it's always frustrating to have to take time off, whether it's planned or unplanned. Um, but trying to kind of I don't know, use that time for, for good instead of just like sulking around or lazing around. Yeah, and I think most places in the world, I guess, or, or maybe not all places, I don't know if I want to generalize like that, but it is sort of that fall, winter time of year, right? So a lot of the summer training and stuff has sort of wound down and, and we're sort of you know evolving into maybe our off-season training or, or, or as you say, taking time off, right? And this is the natural ebb and flow of things, the planning and periodization thereof. Yeah, exactly. So it was it was good. I did some, yeah, got to learn some new activities. And I, I think, you know, while we talk about becoming a consummate athlete, uh, side note, name of our new book out November 15th, um, you know, I also like the idea of kind of becoming a consummate human being. And, you know, for me, that means being able to do things like, you know, putting a new floor in the bathroom and stuff like that. Well, I guess that's the idea. Yeah. Yeah, like accumulating new skills and yeah, I think and, that's... And not throwing my back out while I was doing it. I guess, yeah, or like hitting your thumb with a hammer or, or different... Uh... Well, I think like the, the whole consummate athlete concept as far as, you know, being relatively strong, you know, we always talk about to pick up your kids and stuff like that, but I think it's, it's also even, you know, when you think about home renovations or gardening or landscaping or, you know, working on your car, any of those things, you know... I was just talking to my mom a couple of days ago and, you know, she threw her back out for like the billionth time uh, this week, just lifting something at school. She's a, she's a teacher and, you know, she's now sort of down for the count for a few days. And right. It's one of those things like you can go see a chiropractor all you want, but if you don't actually work on sort of strengthening back muscles and, you know, working on your core and figuring out how to like properly like, you know, squat to lift stuff and things like that, like you're going to keep doing that. Yeah. And it's hard to say, right? Like different people are, I guess, predisposed to this and have different ailments and different spine segments, but certainly well, we could do the things we can control, right? Like there's obviously like genetic side to that, but there is, you know, can we do as part of the process of training, you know, to be human, can we yeah. be loading and, and exposing ourselves to different ranges of motion and preparing for this, this demand of, you know, picking textbooks up at school. Yeah, exactly. And I was actually talking to a researcher on a similar topic uh, a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about stress fractures in women. And I, I think we've even mentioned this before, but she kind of confirmed this, like the the rate of re in, or like the biggest indicator that you're going to have a stress fracture is if you've had a stress fracture before. Yeah, I think that's probably true of a lot of ailments, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah once you're, I, I think that all that's saying is that the people that are likely to get it again because of like whatever, lifestyle, genetics, and so forth, they're the ones that are likely to get it. Yeah, exactly. So even if you haven't had any of these issues yet, I think it's always a good idea to start kind of thinking about bulletproofing yourself as much as possible against them so you don't have them for the first time. Yeah, I was just reading something that was to the effect of like, you know, hard work's worth something in and of itself, but like it doesn't guarantee you're getting a gold medal, right? Like you, you're going, like lots of people are trying to get the gold medal. Lots of people are trying to do this. So I think maybe in the same effect, like you might do all this work and still end up down that road, but you're hoping that it is worth it and enjoyable along the way, but then also, you know, hopes, hopefully reduces or, or prevents in the case of the injury, right? Exactly. 
Uh, so is any of this kind of going towards what you got to chat with our guest about today? I and think so. Side note, uh, we've now had two episodes in a row where Peter is just the ultimate fangirl. Yes, I've used the word <laughs> gushing, but yeah, I think, you know, two great episodes. We had Joe Friel on, that was last week we posted that. So this week we have Dan Cleather, uh, who wrote a book, The Little Black Book of Training. Uh, is that's right, right? That's yeah, right. Yeah, I yeah. should know because it's one of my favorite. I would say it's in my rotation of four or five books I like keep on the desktop and like refer to often, uh, whether it's just, you know, motivation for writing training or training myself or just to sort of sit and ponder concepts. So this is one that Peter has on his Kindle and I keep having to take the actual physical book out of the Amazon cart because he keeps putting it back in and I keep telling him you already have it on your Kindle, but this is how much he likes the book. He actually wants to have both an ebook and a physical copy. Right, right. Yeah, it, it's one of those. And I think our, our conversation I found quite interesting. I think for the listeners, it'll be at, at times philosophical and maybe higher level so to speak, not higher level in that it's even complicated, but higher level in that we're not talking specifically about cycling, but I think training philosophy, training principles and consistency being one of the big ones that I've, I've sort of enjoyed hearing Dan talk about and was able to sort of ask some follow-ups to the book that I, I sort of really wanted to ask in terms of consistency and in terms of some of these other principles that he talks about. Yeah. Now he's primarily a strength and conditioning coach. He's worked with world and Olympic champions. He's actually an associate professor of strength and conditioning at St. Mary's. Um, side note, didn't know you could be a professor of strength and conditioning. Yeah, Very which excited. is actually his main thing now. Like he, he says too that he's he do, is doing less strength and conditioning now and more coaching coaches or or, or rather teaching the the philosophy the the art thereof the science of strength coaching and coaching. Yeah, so I'm I'm really excited about this episode. I think it's going to be a bit of a departure from the norm, but in in like the best way possible, especially at this time of year where we're where everyone is kind of thinking a little bit more deeply about their training going forward and a little less about like the day-to-day Yes. side of things yeah some of the concepts around consistency again like even with your taking time off right it's not that you're consistent and that you do the exact same thing every day it's that you're thinking where are you going to be in three months in three years in 30 years right this idea of consistency and then we also ha- get into adaptive capacity which is something that has just been on my mind all year i would say if i had to pick a theme is just this idea of like how much load do we need to apply and how much can the organism the person how much can you handle at a given time right and so we talk about starting out in a training program and not like just, you know, really drilling it right off the bat day one, right? Like your classic gym user, uh, just going out and like being, you know, uh, not being able to walk the next day, um, because they worked so hard, right. And like used up all their adaptive capacity early and sort of how that changes as we work towards a peak. Um, so I found it just, again, I, I've said and ponder this, for hours, uh, just did, some of these did concepts. Did you sneak the inverted U into this one? I didn't. I didn't necessarily propose that. No, no. <laughs> if everyone, if you missed the Joe Friel episode, please go back and listen to it and like drink every time you think Peter is thinking about the inverted U. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I didn't bring it up there, but if I guess, nobody describes it and like oh, as we right. were recording, yeah. I could like see your face just lighting up. Right. You sat up a little straighter. Yeah. It yeah, because I asked Joe. Joe has a thing about, um, and I, I I have to find the article still, um, but I think he knew what I was talking about. And it was just the idea that like once you ride, say, three hours, and the number isn't so important, but like for each person, there'd be like a point where at the the, the benefits of the, the duration or the intensity or whatever it is starts decreasing, right? And that's the idea of like what is the, the optimal effective dose or the minimum effective dose? Like how long do you have to ride to get fitter? Um, and then at what point is there like a risk? And Joe actually added a line to the inverted U where there's, uh, what was it? It was like the risk is increasing over, you know, as you go further and further. Yeah. Uh, side note on the inverted U, you can read more about that in our upcoming book, Becoming a Consummate Athlete. It's out November 15th and you can hop over to consummateathlete.com, get on our newsletter and you'll get all of the details, all of the launch plans, all of the the fun stuff going on at that. But without further ado, enjoy this episode with Dan Cleaver. I think we have to start with the cardinal rule and consistency. And I was wondering if you could just talk and, and introduce the listener into this idea of consistency and, and why it is the, the cardinal rule, why it is the thing that's so central to sport training, to training in general. I, th- I think it's a bit of a truism. Uh, and, it, and it's one of these things that is obvious, but has deep ramifications. Um, and, th- and that is that 
yeah, if you want to be good at something, you need to do it a lot. Uh, and the only way that you can do something a lot is if you're really consistent. Uh, if you keep breaking or you're not on a consistent schedule, uh, then then you won't do it a lot and you won't get good at it. Right, right. Which is sort of like a duh, but then it doesn't necessarily follow common practice, right? Yeah, 100%. So that, you know, where, where I am is I think that lots of people know that or would say that, but then they're beha- they don't behave in a way that allows them to be consistent. Right. Uh, and, and often that's because they, uh, and, and what's kind of a shame is that often the reason they behave that way is because they really want to get better, uh, but then they kind of get in their own way. So now you're, are, you're, are you still in the gym with all the COVID stuff? Like what, what does your day to day look like as far as, as coaching right now? So I don't really do very much coaching at all anymore. Okay. Um, so my, my day job is I teach strength and conditioning uh, for St. Mary's University. Right. Uh, so, yeah, my, my day-to-day is, is teaching uh, and doing research. So, and, and the program that I teach on and, and run, we're an online MSc in strength and conditioning anyway. Right. Uh, so actually covid hasn't had a huge impact on us okay um the only bit of coaching that i do now is is i coach one weightlifter okay. uh one one very good weightlifter but uh okay and, and do you see you know it, when we're i guess in in your teaching then um do you find that this idea of consistency is easier to teach like uh, to me the strength coaching you know strength uh, periodization maybe is, is more apparent that like you go to the gym on a Tuesday, a Thursday, a Saturday or something, right? Like it, it's almost, it strikes me as like, maybe it would be more, uh, built into the thing than maybe like I'm familiar with cycling coaching where like you can ride your bike every day if you want to. Right. And people certainly do. So do you, do you find like in strength training, like, is that idea of consistency more common sense, I guess, less of a duh or, or more of a duh moment, I guess. I mean, I, I think that you can take consistency on different levels. Um, and so you, you have the, the level which is, okay, just do something every day. You have, but you also have the level of, okay, you know, I have a plan and I want to stick to it. Um, and so I think, and you have kind of the bigger picture things of, okay, I don't want to hurt myself. Um, and, and I think that across sports, you know, people in every sport fall victim to themselves in terms of hurting their consistency. Right. And so, you know, in, in, in lifting, uh, yeah, a, a, a big uh, impediment to getting better is if you just train too hard all the time. Uh, so, yeah, that, and, and, and so again, you have, Sorry, that's, I'm very, very incoherent there. Like, that's okay. That's okay. Um, Keep going. Like, I guess where you're going with it is almost that the you, you still have the people who put, load the bar up, you know, way more than they need to load the bar up, or they do the extra set they didn't need to do. Okay. Um, so then keeping with consistency then, um, and I'm sure we'll just keep coming back to this then. Um, you know, it, it strikes me that it, it's harder to be consistent with program hopping, which is something you, you also talk about in the book. And that's just like commonplace thing where like, you know, we're doing CrossFit, you know, main workout one day. And then the next day we're out doing something else and, and just sort of combining things. And it's, again, seems logical that if you had a goal, you know, let's assume we're motivated to like race something or, or go to a meet that we would have a program. But then again, this is, this does not seem like it's, it's common practice maybe. Um, so what do you see as far as program hopping? Like what, what are the mistakes then that people are making? Yeah. So I, I mean, I, I have various places where, yeah, I, I think people get in their own way in terms of being consistent and, and program hopping is a good example of it. So people who like training, like thinking about training often, they like trying new things out. They probably spend too much time thinking and worrying about what they're doing and whether they're improving enough. Right. Uh, and all of these factors taken together, I think, 
provide a lot of impetus for people to you know constantly want to switch from one thing to another um but then that that then goes against another meaning of you know being consistent which is okay well consistency isn't just doing something every day it's also well repeating <laughs> you know pra- pra- repeating the same practice every day right um and so kind of because people are so invested in their training and, and wanting to do the best they can right now all the time, they you know flip from po- program to program in search of something better. Uh, but in doing so, they they just destroy their consistency with regards to okay, just doing the same thing day in day out, and and that being the key way that you improve. Yeah, and some of the old like running stuff like that's just you know that's laid the foundation for lots of other stuff. Um, like it was like three to six months of just like basically the same thing, same week almost, right? Like it was very re- repetitive, very redundant, um, and just with the idea that you'd like slowly adapt to it, right? Similar to I know you're a fan and, and friend of Dan John, who I also really like, um, and he has like his everything works for six weeks idea, right? Um, yeah. Um, and I, I think. What like I don't know. I guess like my question with this and what I'm just trying to get at is that you know it, it's very common, I guess, and that but it's it's very hard for people. I don't know if it's as simple as you know you need to find something and follow it, like something that you like, right? Or just put on blinders, or um, I don't. Do you find that it's like almost like people they're not they don't understand like what they're trying to do, like the progress, like what their measurement tool is, right, for progress. I mean, I think in terms of program hopping, it is simply that either people start to doubt that they're doing the right thing, that they get bored, or they just get excited by the prospect of some other type of training. The Um, magic bullet. Yeah, like, or, you know, you see a new training program, or you think, oh, I've got to try try that out. Um, and, And, yeah, like, I mean, there's, I mean, there's a problem there in consistency. And then if you're talking about kind of Dan John type ideas as well, there's a, there's a problem there in terms of, well, if you never finish a program, you never learn if it worked or not. Right. So, so then you, you, you don't really learn, you know, what's effective training for you. Right. Um, That's something that I've pondered a lot. Like, do you have, I, I know it, maybe thinking about strength training, like, maybe this is a dumb question, but I'll try and ask it in like the most honest way. Like, how do you know at the end of your six weeks or your, your mesocycle or however, how do we know that it worked? Yeah. Uh, so some people would test, uh, to know, to know if it worked. Uh, I don't think that I try and avoid testing now. Really? Okay. Um, Unless unless the testing is part of your competitive sport, okay. so as as I say, like I, I coach a weightlifter, um, so yeah, he needs to test because mm-hmm. you know the test is how much weight can you put over your head, uh, right. and and he needs to practice doing that, uh, and 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 being able to perform in that way. But for someone who, yeah, doesn't need to test, I think that you know if you're getting stronger like uh, and and again it's it's that people and and your coach should know if you're getting stronger um but so the motivation for people to test is either to kind of give themselves some reassurance or because they're addicted to the number and the number going up um or, or or other permutations of this and and that would be fine if there wasn't a consequence to testing. Um, but one of, you know, one of the things that I believe quite strongly is that, yeah, performing maximally brings a price with it. Um, and often that price is that it just plateaus you. Um, or, or, or certainly if, if you, if you do a couple of max performances, then, then you just wipe out, you know, you know your the sort of progression that you were on um and so yeah for me a lot of the time is like yeah if, if if i don't need to test why why would i um especially if i 
if I know, I mean, you know, if you're getting stronger, like are, are things getting easier? Are you mm. doing more this week than you did last week? Um, right. For the, for the same amount of effort, you know? Right. So it still might be that like, you, you know, that the weight lifted or the number of reps is up just in your normal work. It's not that you're maxing out, but that, that, you know, I guess we could say easy strength or that, like just the tolerable, like the workout. Yeah. Oh, but, but also like it, it doesn't need to ha- be objective. It can be, you know, subjective. Like it was just easier for me to do that today, you know, right. or, and, and again, again, I mean, I, I feel like, a, you know, most of the things I say are just repeating what Dan John says, but, uh, right. well, he's written a lot, I guess. But... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but yeah, like another of his things is okay. You know, when throwing it, it, he, he has a drill where it's kind of, okay, I'm going to put a cone at a distance for you. Uh, and I want you to throw it that distance as easily as you can. Right. Okay. So, you know, so, so that you have this given performance for, and, and, and you get, and it becomes easier and easier and easier for you to produce that performance. So, so now that perform that performance before was 85%. Now I can do it at 70% or, oh, interesting. You know, or, or it's it's still eighty percent, but it just feels good. Hmm. Um, Interesting. Uh, yeah. No. It, again, it seems obvious, but like I haven't heard him say that either. So that's that's it's like a it's an obvious twist around on how you do something. But it's like, yeah, I like that. I mean, but Dan is kind of you know when when he talks about throwing, like he he says your PB throw is going to be a ninety percent effort throw. Um, it's not going to be a hundred percent effort throw because if you're trying too hard, sure, you, you know, you, you know, like it, you, you, you're not going to actually throw throw it as far. So kind of, it, it, it again, it, it relates to this. Okay, well, do you push the ceiling or bring up the floor thing? Well, bringing up the floor is okay. Well, you know, how how good is my eighty percent? Like, can I make my eighty percent better rather than okay? Can I move my hundred percent? Right. Further. Right. And I guess for so many sports too, it's like almost, it has to be like a performance almost on demand. Right. So it's like, you almost don't want that, like pull the car off your baby, like once in your lifetime, like stars yeah. align because you know, someone's going to say something that they're going to throw you off your game. You're going to, you know, so it's, it's more that like repeatable effort. Absolutely. And I, and I really think that most people train in these, in these cycles that wave, you know, from, you know, they have big variations in their performance level across the, the course of a training cycle. Mm-hmm. So that, um, you know, so that actually most people, they're, they're like, okay, I'm pretty proud of, you know, what my performance looks like when I'm at the top of my performance cycle, but I hate it when people come in the gym and see what I'm doing <laughs> at the bottom. Right. Uh, when, when actually, you know, yeah, I, I think what you, you want to always have your body largely, you know, in shape, but, but that's not that you're trying to, that you're, um, chasing being, you know, in peak condition all the time. Cause that's not realistic. Rather you want to move your baseline condition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it's not about how high the peak is that you can get to. It's, you know, where you are yeah. most of the time. Yeah. In, in cycling, like in the data collection now, they're, they're, you're seeing more like getting away from like the single peak power and more like, you know, five peaks or, or they're kind of like clustering. I don't know if you do something like that with clustering, if that rings a bell or not. But like the idea that like you might look at a 20 minute power or something is like sort of the big number often. But they don't care about like your best one. They care about like your five or your 10 best ones over a certain duration. Um, because that's like who you are. Like, that's what we're talking about, right? Is like, what can you go out and throw or bike any given day, basically, right? Like years and years and years ago, I worked with a very, very good sprint canoeer, uh, canoeist. Um, <laughs> and he, he for, for, for some reason, we, we ended up across the course of a week doing a one rep max and essentially a three rep max and a five rep max on like a Monday, Wednesday and a Friday I, I don't remember why, and you know th- th- this is a this is a guy who has a, you know he, he 
you know sprint canoeing you have to turn your upper body into your lower body essentially um so this is a guy who weighs i don't know 75 kilos and who's benching you know 170 or, or, or 170 kilos right, uh, right. Uh, but yeah his his perform his performance in the one RM say on Monday, the five RM say on Wednesday, and the three RM say on Friday were equivalent to one another. Um, and kind of traditional theory says you shouldn't be able to do that because you should be so fried, you know, a, a, after doing your one RM on Monday, there should be no way at all um, that that you yeah can hit you know, that performance again on the Wednesday or the Friday. Um, and, and part of that was, okay, just, I think the nature of their adaptation as, uh, as sprint canoeists is, uh, is that they, they have some of that weird kind of endurance capacity. Right. But then secondly, that, yeah, he, you know, he, he has, you know, he wasn't peaking to do this or this, you know, that it's a. Right. Right. So you might just be like, that wasn't like his absolute peak, but. It yeah, was yeah, pretty pretty close to it and pretty solid that he repeated. Yeah. Hmm. I, I guess like we could segue there for a while. Like you, you've worked with a couple different types of athletes, a few different types of athletes, a, a handful, a bunch. Um, how are like are, are do you tend to go with a fairly generalized as much as like the canoeist? Like obviously, upper body is important. Like is is or do you tend to go more towards that? Like uh, I guess traditional strength training versus like you know making him do some sort of like, you know, cable, you know, row th- variation or something. I mean, co- coaches are on a spectrum, aren't they? Of, of, um, sure, what, sure. what, what they do. Um, I, I, I've always been, yeah. Uh, you know, of, of the opinion that, that the weight room is a, is, is a tool for strength training largely. Um, and, and other things are trained in other environments. Um, that's not to say, okay, well, you know, we just, we just bench and do chins and squat. Um, but, but yeah, I'm, I'm towards the kind of the weight room for me tends to be a more general training area. And sort of that idea that the stronger you get, the better it will be for whatever you're trying to do outside. It's just, yeah. And I mean, on, on our program, uh, and this isn't, uh, this isn't an original concept at all, but, uh, you know, we, we, we teach our students to think in terms of dynamic correspondence. Um, okay. and so dynamic correspondence is this, it's a theory that kind of comes out of some of the Russian training literature and that was popularized in the West by Mel Sif and Yuri Verkashansky in super training. Right. Um, but it's essentially that, okay, well, if you're, thinking about resistance training exercises and whether they're going to transfer to performance in the sport, uh, you need to be thinking about, okay, well, how is force produced in that sport? And then does the exercise resemble the sport? Um, But that's wider than, okay, so one of the criteria is, okay, does it look kinematically similar? So that's kind of exercises like you were saying of, okay, I'm in the weight room. If I'm working with a canoe, you know, yeah. Or like cyclists or and like step ups, but only like at 35 degrees of like it, hip, right? Exactly. So, so one criterion is certainly, okay. Is it kinematically similar? Um, but then there's, there's other kind of criterion to discuss, to, to consider which relate to, okay, well, what is the region where force is being produced? You know, is is the force in, produced in the exercise greater than in the, the skill? What's the rate of force development? What's the contraction regime um, through which you're exerting force? And, and and all of these things taken together is actually, okay, yeah, you can have something that looks kinematically very similar, but that doesn't meet any of the other, the other criteria. Or you can have something that, doesn't look very kinematically similar at all, but actually ticks the boxes on some of the other criterion. Um, yeah. So, but you know, that using that, using that, uh, concept does require you to kind of accept the fact that, yeah, well, training can be general, uh, and still transferable to sports performance. 
Right, but may co- lead you to de-emphasize lower body in your canoeist. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. For some, uh, you know, uh, they're very elite level, right? So then you might say like, okay, well, we're just going to let that. Because yeah. you're almost, you would be concerned with weight there as well, I guess, to some degree, right? So with yeah. the lower body. I mean, you'd certainly have less emphasis. Um, there's still reasons to train the lower body with a canoeist. Um, they they do use their legs, uh, just like you use your legs when you're benching. Uh, right, like you know. more for the bracing and just contraction. Yeah, and, and, yeah. and hot, you know, maneuvering the canoe, um, you know, with, with their lower body. And then, and then I guess the second reason is, yeah, if you if you're thinking about sort of systemic physiological things, you know, there's a lot of muscle mass there. Right. Uh, you know. Right. Right. Sure. Yeah, and that's a, a you know probably a, a, one of the top reasons to do it is that you know there's certainly a lot of metabolic and and just yeah. overall health if not also performance that comes from that. Yeah. Okay, um, that's good. We got to the uh, different sports, which is important. That's the podcast is about sort of like doing different sports, being ready for different sports. Um, but I thought, you know, with this idea of consistency, and I want to keep going at that and, and getting into it. So I, I wondered if we could go and look at um, this idea. Do you think we should start with hot sessions or more with the two types of workouts, like the gas versus practice, which would be more logical, do you think? <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe hot sessions. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So why don't we talk about like that's sort of, you know, central to this is this idea of we're talking about testing. So would like testing in, in be a form of hot sessions then? If it was if it was planned as as a training stimulus, right. um, like I mean, I mean, it's certainly going to be a hot session no matter what, um, you know. But and and yeah, if if there's a reason why you're doing it and it, and it's part it's it's part of the training process for you, then then I think I could program that as a hot session. Um, so so is it always high intensity? Like in, in your vernacular, would a hot session be like always like higher intensity? Not necessarily. Like, I, I mean, for, for me, okay, so you have, I, I think in terms of, okay, well, you've got a finite amount of freshness that, that you can use as, over the course of a week. Okay, right. so th- there's only a certain amount of times that you can be in a state where you're going to be able to, you know, give your best training effort. Um, and I think that probably that's two sessions a week maybe um if if you're very very well trained uh you know maybe three um but but yeah so you 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 can only give so if we we say you can only give your kind of like peak training performance in in two sessions then i think that it's really really important that you kind of identify where it's most important for you to give that effort so I don't know very much about cycling at all, but if you take running as an example, um, you know, so di- distance running, um, like typically, certainly in the in the UK model, like distance runners will have, you know, two sessions a week, which are the quality right. stuff, um, and so it's pretty easy, you know, certainly in you know, parts of the year to say, okay, well, those are the, just the two most important sessions. Uh, so I, I need to make sure that, yeah, I can go on the track and run my intervals of 400 meters or, or whatever it is, uh, uh, you know, without being tired, you know, right. and, and having heavy legs or, or, or whatever it is. Um, and so that that's one aspect of hot sessions. And then the other aspect of hot sessions is that, yeah, like they, they probably – should also be the sessions that are going to give you the biggest bang for your book you know so it's kind of like okay well if i could only train twice in a week what right. do i have to do right um you know and, and hopefully a lot of the time uh those two things will intersect so you know where you want quality is probably the thing that you have to do um if if you're wanting to do something with really high quality, but it's something that you would you know, you wouldn't prioritize as a session, then I, I, I'm not sure why you would. Right. Yeah. I've heard, um, that, you know, the question of like, if you, you go around and you ask a coach or someone and, and I've, I've used it in the past just to sort of understand 
what type of philosophy someone has almost like, Hey, you know, you're training a canoeist. Like what, if you could only train them twice a week for 30 minutes, like what would you do with it? And anything strength training, what, what would you pick? And it sort of like understands like, what is the, what is the most important thing, right? In your mind, right. And when you're training this for this purpose. Um, I like that though. Like that's sort of like, you're right. Those should be the hot sessions. So in your book, then you talk about like, those are the ones that should get plugged into your, your calendar first. Yeah. Right. Which yeah. sounds, you know, Oh, duh. But like, again, we're get, trying to hash in on like, where are the mistakes with this consistency idea? Right. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. It is another one of these things where, yeah, I think it, it, it sounds trivial, but I, I think a lot of people, if, if they actually, you know, really reflect on, on what their practices are, would, would, would realize, oh, actually shit, <laughs> you know, I, I haven't, Got, got in the two sessions that mattered to me this week or right or or or, or like every session you know every session is a hot a hot session right an important session you know we're hitting multiple intensity like every single day trying to like test every day yeah um right which then is like you know the the returns are not so good yeah and if and if you bring it back to the consistency argument as well so we're, we're saying okay if if, if I was only doing two sessions per week, but I did those ones always with great quality for a long time, then I'd probably still get quite good. Um, so it's most important from a consistency point of view that I'm able to do those two sessions a week with high quality. Um, how people get in their own way is that, yeah, because they then put in a load of other sessions that they then do too hard they reduce the consistency of their hot sessions such that, yeah, they, they never really have any hot sessions uh, because they're just training at a moderate intensity all the time. And so that could be, how much do you think about, you know, you're working with an athlete individually, like how much of that planning of the hot sessions is around life, around, you know, other, like when you're determining where in the week, like is that that's central to the issue, I would imagine? Yeah, 100%. I mean, uh like if if you're working with you know elite athletes, then that kind of takes care of itself because they will prioritize that. But if you're working with with a general population, then 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 absolutely you, yeah, you you, you need to look look at the life and uh, look at life and when you, um, yeah, when they can perform. Right. I mean, and and people people don't really, or a lot of people I think don't really properly kind of except how much other stresses will, will, will reduce your ability to train. Right. Um, like, we, you know, in my life, uh, once a year, I have this intensive teaching period where, so we have an online program, but one, once a year I go, I go teach and teach face-to-face for a fortnight. Uh, but, you know, probably, you know, teach six hours a day, every day for 12 days straight like and every year before i go to do it i kind of like you know set some new resolution of like yeah no i'll definitely get some training (laughs) right right like i'm just ruined after you know at the end of the first day i'm ruined and i I can't do anything with any type of quality at all Mm -hmm. um you know and and to try and plan any is just pointless uh yeah, you're almost better to plan that, like, you know, cycle into your year and just absolutely. I'm just gonna yeah. not do anything for those twelve days, right? Or, or whatever, walk or whatever you get do get fit in. Yeah, I wonder if that's then. Why don't we segue that? You know, we can keep coming back to hot sessions, but this is the idea of like planning the the hard days, the important days. But you touched on, and really the thing I'm most curious about, so we can spend the rest of the talk and I'll be just joyful, but the idea of adaptive capacity is just like, that was the thing from your book that I was just like, like, again, obvious, but then like so important. And you touched on it, like, you know, we all have stressors. We only have so much adaptive capacity. So I wonder if you could take us through just a brief, you know, what is adaptive capacity in your mind, um, maybe versus performance capacity or like how you would look at like explaining adaptive capacity to someone, right? It, it's a model for me of of how training works. Or, or if you if you're looking at a model of how training works, for me the the models that we have don't fully describe what we know goes on. 
Okay, so our models are, are generally based on one, you know, looking at one training bout and and recovery from that training bout, uh, and so that you apply a stressor, your performance goes down. Then as you recover, your performance goes up. Okay, so that's one training block, and then when people kind of conceptualize putting those blocks together you kind of have okay well if you give yourself enough recovery between each block then you can kind of keep improving um if you take another training session before you've recovered then you can kind of start diminishing your performance uh etc kind of so 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 all these things are, are viewed on yeah looking the summative effect of, of, of these little blocks um and, and largely just thinking about okay the trade-off between performance ability and recovery um but i think that 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 misses a big factor of performance and and that is so so when you sent me the questions beforehand you were kind of you you said um can i give an example of where someone's performance capacity might be at its peak, um, but, their, but their adaptive capacity could be zero. Um, and, and, and that for me is the example which shows that kind of traditional models of training don't work. Because the example of someone who's in that situation is, okay, if you have someone who's at their peak for competition, you know, they're, they're, if they're a cyclist, okay, if, if they're a sprint cyclist, they, you know, they, they're at their peak ability to produce peak wattage. Okay. You know, they're, they're absolutely as good as they can be, but by definition, they're at their peak. So they can't get any better. So, so, you know, if, if you did more training that they, they wouldn't adapt, you know, they, they're going to give this max performance and then they're going to plunge down the other side of, of, of the cliff. Um, right. So I, you know, for me, kind of, yeah. But by definition, if someone's at their peak, they 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 have no more adaptive capacity because if they had more adaptive capacity, they wouldn't be at their peak. Right. They could they could keep training and get higher. Sure, that uh, makes sense. Yeah. So would a very experienced, you know, professional, like ten, fifteen years into the training pathway, like would their adaptive capacity actually be lower then? I mean, relative to a novice. Yeah, I, I think, I, um, you know, like a, a novice can do anything <laughs> and, and, and get and get considerably better. Sure. So so if, if you were to and, and again, I, I stress that, you know, for me, an adaptive capacity capacity is just a model like, you know, it's a name I'm giving to all sorts of different, you sure. know, f phenomena. But, but yeah, you, a novice has a huge amount of adaptive capacity because you can give them a very, very modest stimulus and they make a huge improvement. Um, and a, a professional requires a very targeted, specific stimulus and probably quite a hard one and they don't respond to it as well. You know, so, but, so, so yeah, I think there is a difference between levels. Uh, but similarly, just through, through the course of a training program, you know, I feel like you want to guard and uh, cultivate and care for your adaptive capacity uh, and, and, you know, just get the most out of it that you can. Uh, right. Okay. And that makes more sense now that you've explained that a bit. So it's almost, you know, I, I see people in cycling, it would, an example would be like, they start, you know, maybe they've done an off season, as you say, you know, they should have a lot of adaptive capacity free. You know, it's the, the maybe the cup is full yeah. and then but then they go right into like, boom, like six hour rides and just like empty it basically. Yeah. Right. And then to me, I'm like wondering, like with the way to express is that like the actual benefit or maybe we could call this like an optimal dose or a minimum effective dose. Maybe they've blown right through that. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, 100 percent. You kind of double the training doesn't mean double the adaptation. <laughs> Right. It's it, from a sim, sing, from a, a single session, you, you know. So so you do you do want to find okay. Well, what's the minimum dose that I can give to get whatever's realistic, you know, in 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 terms of adaptation. I mean, I, I think in terms of 
you know, if you're taking a novice or you're taking someone who's starting a season again, and this is another Dan John idea, but you know, the, the, if if you if you think of a you know 55 year old overweight man who's uh, you know just been told by his doctor that he needs to do exercise uh, and goes to the gym on the first day and gets. <laughs> gets absolutely destroyed by his personal trainer right. um which, which i'm sure happens all the time right. uh that person's then going to spend the next seven days being really really sore uh not be able to so from a consistency point of view they're not going to be able to train the next day or the day after that right. um they probably won't have enjoyed that and and so that'll be a big barrier to them going back uh and then in terms of okay well minimum effective dose and and their their adaptive capacity it's like well you've you've given them so much stimulus Mm -hmm. you could have given them a tenth of the stimulus and they'd still adapt in the same way everything else you gave them was just a waste right um yeah and that's you know i i was thinking of an example of like younger kids, you know, they're starting, I'll, I'll use cycling again. And again, like we don't need to do six hour rides to get faster. Like, no. as you say, like 30 minutes is probably great, especially if we do it, you know, we have multiple practice sessions. Absolutely. And and it's also kind of, so one you know, the, the biggest, you know, one of the biggest, if not the most important um, concept in resistance training is progressive overload. Okay. So mm-hmm. we need, you know, we need to be able to keep it increasing the stimulus. Um, so for me, what that again means is, well, I want to give the minimum stimulus that I can because I want to hold it back for when I need it. Whereas again, you know, if you go straight in doing six hour rides, where are you going to go? This is the question, right? You know, we, we put our kids into altitude camps and, you know, give them all the supplements and the fanciest bike, right? And it's like, what, <laughs> what are we going to do in year two? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, I mean, I love this so much. Um, and, and the way I, I've, I've been trying to think of like good analogies for this, but I, I like the minimum effective dose. Like you're, you're almost trying to hold back, you know, so that maybe when we do get to that peak, right, we can like really hustle for a week or a month, um, you know, and, and really like try and push that envelope, as you say, like empty the uh, adaptive capacity maybe in those last little bits, right? When we know off season's coming. My talking around training is about, okay, take it easy, do less, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And that's, that's not to say that there's not a time and a place for working hard out. Of course there is. Um, it's more kind of people are, are good at doing that. Right. You know, like the, the message they need to hear is, uh, yeah, you need to, you need to rein it back in more than, okay, you need to be working harder. Like mo- most people who are into their sport, you know, know how to work hard and you know and work hard enough like the problem is that they're working too hard when they shouldn't be right which gets back to that idea of hot sessions um and and not too many in the week right especially i think it's almost like you say like when you start it almost doesn't matter you got to start but make sure you can keep doing it a bunch yeah um but then as you get more and more serious which is like the thing that doesn't make sense to people right is that like you have to be really particular about those hot sessions and because it takes so much effort and so much intensity, if, if you will, or, or dose to make any meaningful improvement. Right. But again, I think that, you know, what, what I think most people don't understand if you look at the way that elite athletes train it is, is that they, you know, if they're training well, but a lot, a lot of them are, it, it is that, is that they really do differentiate between, you know, hard and, and easy sessions. Um, so, so again, I, I used to work a lot with middle distance athletes. Uh, and so this is, yeah, they have their Tuesday and they, their Thursday, which is really, really qual- quality track work. Um, on a Sunday, they probably go for a long run, um, you know, and, and that'll depend, you know, whether that's, you know, 10, 15, 20 miles will depend on the discipline. Um, but then everything else from a running perspective through the week is easy. And like, I mean, ridiculously easy. Like I, I on training camp and I'm not a runner. Uh, like I really am not a runner. I'm a hundred kilos. Uh, like they, they were running 
easy enough at the start of their easy runs that I could run with them for about 10 minutes until I dropped out the back when they ran up the same up a cliff at the same speed. Right. Know, but, but, you know, but they, they really, they, they're going really slow. Um, I, I, you know, I, it was very hard for me to keep up with them. Wrong. <laughs> right, but, right. you know, like, you know, rel- relatively, they, 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 they run, you know, Monday, 30 minutes morning, 30 minutes afternoon, really easy you know mm-hmm. tuesday track session really hard tuesday afternoon 20 minutes really easy wednesday morning really easy wednesday afternoon really easy like well and i wonder we can segue with this whole thought right into your idea of gas workouts do you call them gas or do you say an acronym i don't know how you pronounce those in, in your lingo but uh, that versus practice sessions i thought that was a great way of looking at you know exactly what we're talking about do you want to take us through that maybe just a this will be probably our last question for the day mm. um but yeah do you want to because i think that'll be really illustrative of this idea you're talking about the easy hard the focus not focused yeah so so again this just comes out of thinking about how people traditionally describe training and 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 resistance training um so so again we talked about this model of okay well you apply a stimulus you get a little bit worse and then as you recover you get better and and that that model is called the general adaptation syndrome and and it comes from uh studies of stress uh and i feel like that's been very popular maybe with all the stress we're under but it seems like the popular media is really it's uh like is it hans selke so yeah. yeah yeah okay yeah yeah so he he used to stress mice uh and and they were pretty stressed uh he you know he used to essentially make them swim until they were drowning and and things like that um right. yeah that that's our that's our the main model that people use to understand training which is okay you you apply a stimulus that stimulus has to be hard enough that it puts the body into alarm um you know it, it's how it's described in the model that is that your performance ability goes down because you're under stress and then and then your response to that is your body recovers and as it recovers it it increases its performance ability a little bit so that it's more resistant to that stress in the future um and so i think because we all have that kind of model of of training in our mind we're, we're all very focused on okay applying stress applying a big stimulus and causing alarm uh, so if you take from a weight training point of view and weight training is very, very influenced by bodybuilding, uh, and in bodybuilding it's okay. The stimulus is we're just going to fry your muscle, you know? So right. we're, we're going to go, we're going to get a pump. Like we're going to do a million sets of isolation exercises to absolutely tear your muscle apart. And that's a stimulus. And then we build back from that. And, you know, so that's that's how bodybuilders train. Uh, the one of the big problems for strength training and strength and conditioning as a discipline is that that um, that paradigm of training is really really influential still. Sure um, is. Yeah. So so yeah, like so so that for me is kind of where people are in 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 their way that they view training in their mind. Like they need um, to be a drowned rat at the end of every yeah, workout to say yeah. they've had a good workout, right? And I think that's, a- absolutely. I'm going to always think of this drowned rat now. Yeah, no, <laughs> a- absolutely. That uh, you don't get better unless you you've sweated a lot. Um, but for me, that misses kind of. I mean, just to take an an extreme comparison to that of, well, you know, there's there's lots of things that we can do where we improve and we're clearly not stressing ourselves. you know so mm-hmm. if if i go and practice playing snooker like i can get much much better at, at, at hitting a at hitting a snooker ball but i don't think that you could possibly describe the the stimulus to to adaptation there as, as me being stressed right. um similarly if you're coming a bit back from that extreme, if you take uh, Mo Farah uh, going for a 30-minute jog at a pace that I can keep up with is not stressful for him. You know, right. like it, it, it's like you know, like it's like you or I going for a walk. You know, a short walk. Um, 
you know, so again, like if, if that's going to, but he still does that a huge amount in his training program and he's only going to do it if it's going to, if there's a reason for that and it's helping his performance. But again, it's clear there that it's not a stress stimulus that's making him better. Right. So for me then, okay, well, well, what are we doing there? Like, you know, what is that model of, uh, of improving performance and for me it's just practice so it's kind of well i'm just going to do that thing over and over again not not stressing my body i'm not trying to make you know my my the 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 real physical parts of my body change in any way i'm just trying to do something over and over again so i just get more skillful at it so there's probably changes taking place in my nervous system um but but yeah like there's no stress you know, stress response being, being yeah. triggered. And I loved this, like the GAS versus the practice sessions. Like, I think that's like so central to this idea of, of consistency that you talk about. Um, and just, I think, as you say, like where a lot of us go wrong is thinking that we need to have a, a GAS session all the time. We need to be yeah. like fe- feeling the good workout. I would say like, feel like I got a real good workout, yeah. right? Like, that's in, in running, you know, people want to feel sore. They want to feel like really beat up at the end of their, you know, 30, 60 minute run at lunch or something. Right. And if they don't feel tired, then they didn't, you know, they're not getting the benefit. They didn't burn enough calories or, mm-hmm. um, and I think from my bias, like I'm very skill oriented, um, you know, movement, I guess. And, and to me, it's like so much of it is this, the skill of whatever you're doing, the routine of it, the mental factors, yeah. um, you know, just so much in it. It's like, yeah, we miss that if we're just always on the limit, right? Always suffering. Yeah, and, and you know, for me, increasingly as well, I kind of feel like you're you're using practice to get back into form after you've destroyed yourself in the hot session. Hot session. So, like, again, if you if you're thinking it, you know, it, again, I don't know very much about cycling at all, but it's um, very similar to running. So, run with it, so to but, speak. But you know, if you know, for me, if, if, if you've, you know, absolutely destroyed yourself on the bike in a session, like the next day, the next time you get on the bike, it's not going to feel that good. Like partially because you're going to be sore or, you know, tired or whatever, but also you just, you you know, you've, you've ridden your bike in a way that's not optimal where you've Mm -hmm. been straining, you know, sloppy. Yeah. 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 where, Where you've been doing things under fatigue in a non good way. You know, and so then after doing that, I want to spend two or three sessions just getting on my my bike, you know, enjoying cycling and and making it feel good. And I'm not really ready to go hard again until I've regained my technique, you know. Yeah. And I mean, it's just because I just rode um, prior to talking to you today and it was a lighter session. And it was I always say it's unremarkable. Like there's, you know, my my, Molly, my wife asked, you know, how did did you ride go? And I was you know, it's, it's unremarkable. And I say this to clients all the time. Like it's just a 90 minute bike ride. Like no one's impressed by my wattage. It is, as yeah. you say, like same as the runners, like it's lower than what most people would do. Yeah. Um, but I felt better at the end. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's, to me, that's like central. Like if we can go out and do these sessions and feel better. Yeah. Right. Which is almost opposed to the other one, the GAS, where you probably feel worse than how you started. Yeah. No, I, I think that, you know, that's, a huge thing like i i think that yeah you, you know your your barometer of you know whether you're training effectively is yeah most of the training sessions that you leave you should leave feeling better than when you started um you know and, and that's kind of handy for your life as well <laughs> you know uh, and similarly going back to the consistency thing you know if 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 you know that having done your training session you're going to come out of it feeling better about yourself you know but feeling you know not just mentally but physically then Mm -hmm. then you know that's a pretty powerful stimulus for you to do it again tomorrow yeah i think so i think so i think that's an amazing place to leave it i could ask you a lot more questions but i want to be very uh courteous and, and thankful for your time so um hopefully i can convince you to come back and maybe there'll be questions and stuff can you you have a new book can you give us just a quick where people can find it if they're curious uh, about your latest book. And then I guess also for um, the little black book, because hopefully people are curious about this book as well. Where can they find all this stuff? Thank you. Um, yeah. So uh, 
I guess probably the easiest place to find both of the books is, is on my website. So it's uh, danclever.com, so Dan, C-L-E-A-T-H-E-R.com. And there's, there's links there to both of the books. Um, the, the new book is completely different to the training book. It's an anarchist philosophy of science. Uh, right. So, Well, we have some pretty smart people who listen, so they may be curious about it. And it talks sort of about what's gone awry a bit in the, the scientific method and, and just sort of doing better research, what's wrong with research, right? Reading research. Yeah. I think a few of our listeners, we have a, a few doctors and so forth and, and even a couple of researchers, so they might be very curious. So. We'll link directly to both books and to your website. Um, and again, you. Dan, thank you so much for your time. It's like been just such a joy for me. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode or any of our past episodes, please do us a huge favor. Leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps us bring on, you know, great new guests and yeah, we'd also love to hear from you. You can find us on the interwebs um, at consummateathlete.com, at consummateathlete on Instagram. Uh, and I am at Molly J. Herford on Instagram and Twitter. And Peter is at Peter Glassford. Thank you so much for tuning in. And we will see you next week. Hey, fans and loyal listeners of the Wide Angle Podium. It's Rob Kelly, the host of No Training Wheels. Please join me and the rest of the Criterium Nation as we explore the best that domestic road racing has to offer. In each episode, we meet and hear from the racers, teams, promoters, and people that make the American road scene exciting and engaging, and go beyond the results to talk about the how and why of racing that fascinates us all. So subscribe to No Training Wheels anywhere you get your podcasts. For a full archive of episodes, please visit our website, No Training Wheels Pod, or follow us on Twitter at NT Wheels Pod, or on Instagram at No Training Wheels Pod.